I want to begin tonight by asking you a question. Have you ever made a bad deal? You maybe exchanged something, and you thought to yourself, well, you know what? I've done all right there. I've actually made a good deal. Only discovered at a later time that it actually wasn't a good deal at all. And I can speak tonight from experience, because I remember back to my childhood very vividly. And I used to collect Premier League football stickers. I don't know if people still do that anymore, but I collected those. And for anybody who knows anything about Premier League football stickers, you will know that the most valuable sticker is the number one sticker. Because that number one sticker, it is a shiny Premier League trophy. It's very difficult to get. I was in school one day, and one of my friends told me he had a double of that sticker. And I thought, that's great. He'll trade it with me, won't he? And he did. He said, I'll trade it with you, but you need to give me 20 of your stickers in return. But I didn't mind because I was getting the number one sticker. This was the rarest sticker in the book. And I thought, great. I walked away with that one number one sticker. And I thought to myself, this is great. The best day of my life. Can't get any better than this. You think like that, don't you, whenever you're a child? Next day, I was in school, walking home. And I thought to myself, well, you know what? I'll go and stop by the shop. I'll get another packet of stickers, see what I get. What do you think I got? I got that number one shiny Premier League sticker. I was gutted. Absolutely gutted because I'd just given away 20 of my stickers for one sticker that I got myself the very next day. And I could have used those 20 stickers to trade for other stickers that I needed. I had made a bad deal. I'm looking around tonight and there are many husbands here. What are your wives like when they go shopping? Very good at exchanging your money, I'm sure, when they go shopping. They maybe come home and They'll say to you, look what I got. Look at the dress I've just bought. It's lovely, isn't it? And you'll tell them, yes, that's lovely, dear. But then you glance at the price tag. You start to think to yourself, well, you know what? Maybe it's not as nice as I first thought. Maybe you need to take that back. In fact, I think, dear, you've made a bad deal there. If I were to say the name tonight, Ronald Wayne, would that mean anything to you? See, Ronald Wayne, along with Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs, was responsible for the formation of the company known today as Apple Incorporated. And Ronald Wayne, he was a minority shareholder. He owned 10% of that company. But just 12 days after purchasing those shares, he began to get cold feet. And he thought to himself, you know what, I've had some bad business deals in the past. I'm going to get out now. I'm going to sell my shares. And he sold that 10% for $800. Fast forward to May 2023. And Apple's shares have a value of $2.7 trillion. $2.7 trillion, meaning by that point in 2023, Apple Incorporated had generated more revenue than many countries in the world, including India, France, Germany, even the United Kingdom. If Ronald Wayne had have kept those shares, he would have been worth more than $200 billion today. And many would call this the worst deal in the history of all deals. But believe it or not, there is a deal that people make every single day that it surpasses all other deals. And we read about that deal here in Mark chapter 8. You read verses 36 and 37 with me. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul. And tonight I simply want to consider what Mark says in these two verses. 
And I want to do it by taking as a subject a deal that will lead to damnation. A deal that will lead to damnation. And I have three very simple thoughts to leave with you tonight. First thing I want you to see with me is what I'm calling an unprofitable gain. There's an unprofitable gain because look at how verse 36 begins. It says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? And what exactly does that phrase mean tonight, to gain the whole world? Will you ask that question to many people and you will get many different answers? I think most people, if you ask the question, they would come back and they would say, it's to have the most money. It's to accumulate the greatest wealth. To gain the whole world is to have billions of pounds in the bank. It's to have houses all over the world. It's to have all of the fastest cars, that lavish lifestyle. The rest of society look at people like that. Often the statement that is made is this. Wouldn't it be great to have all that money? Oh, he or she, they have the world at their feet. They have enough money to do whatever they want. And yet you speak to many of those individuals and they would give it all away just to be truly happy. Paul's words to Timothy, I believe, are appropriate here. When he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, that money is the root of all evil. Somebody else gaining the whole world might be reaching the pinnacle of their profession. Take this word of boxing. The greatest achievement for a boxer it is become the heavyweight champion of the world. And in 2018, British boxer Tyson Fury, he achieved that goal. And yet what followed that could be described as anything but success or gaining the whole world. Instead, his success would lead him into a downward spiral, depression, fueled by alcohol and drugs. At the height of that, he would weigh 28 stone. And Tyson Fury, he even testifies to having considered at times to take his own life. Again, it's hardly somebody who's gained the whole world. And others will associate the idea of gaining the whole world with being famous, being a so-called celebrity. And yet the stark reality is, again, that many of those individuals you would call a celebrity, they have the deepest of depression. Drugs, alcohol, other vices just to cope every single day. New famous actors such as Robin Williams, singer Whitney Houston, fashion designer for the Queen Alexander McQueen. Countless others have ended up as just a tragic news story in their pursuit of gaining the whole world. Surely a common theme in these few examples I've just given, there are many others we could give. It's that in attempting to gain the whole world, none of these individuals could be described as being truly happy. You look back with me what it says in Mark chapter 8 and verse 36, and look at the, the wording here. For what shall it profit a man if, if he shall gain the whole world? And you take that literally tonight. And it reads slightly different because it says, For what shall it profit a man if he may gain the whole world? May, not if, it's a may. It's not a case of he shall, it's not a case of he certainly will. No, he might. And whenever you read it, whenever you understand that verse in that way, I think it gains a whole new perspective. No longer a case of certainty when you read that, 
but know there is uncertainty. You might be able to do these things, but it's probably near impossible that it's going to happen. What about the word profit here in verse 36? What does that word mean? It can mean to take advantage. It can mean to better oneself. And therefore, you take into account everything I've said so far tonight, can you and I really say that those things we've described, whether it is power or riches or fame or accolades, do they really represent profit? Is there really any advantage for humanity tonight in those things? And the only answer that can come back is no. No, there's not. I think the description is given of Moses there in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 25. It's a very good description in respect to what I've just said. Speaking about Moses, this is what he said. It says, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. There are so many things in this world that are for enjoyment, are for pleasure. There are many things that the devil will put before your eyes in order to tempt you into sin. And yet after a short while, those things will fade away there for a season. And you'll be left with an empty feeling. You'll be left with a void, trying to fill that void with the things of the world. And the things of the world will never fill that void. They will leave you just wanting more and more. If you don't think it's going to happen to you, it happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted. Matthew chapter 4 describes that temptation. The devil comes, Christ there in the wilderness. And in that passage we read, Christ is brought up into an exceeding high mountain. And the devil shows them all the kings before him. And this is what he says, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 9. He says, all these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. The devil was trying to tempt Christ. He does it for Christ, he's certainly going to do it for us. But unlike Christ, we have not the power to fully resist these temptations. And I say that because the devil knows our weaknesses. He knows how to tempt us. He knows what to put before our eyes that will lead us into sin. And the Bible warns time and time again about going after the things of the world. If you could turn with me tonight to 1 John chapter 2. We'll look at one example. 1 John chapter 2. It's really verse 17 that I want you to focus on, but we'll read verses 15 and 16 just for context. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. It says, Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And here you have it. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So in verse 17, there are two things clearly in view. There's the world, and there's God. And look at the description that is given of these two things. Look at the world. What the world has to offer, it's described here as passing away. It's but for a season, it's gone after a period of time. But what about God? What does it say about God? 
It says those found in God, those doing his will, they will abide and they will remain forever. They will never be lost, never be cast away. The Bible says, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. What a wonderful promise tonight if you're not saved. Maybe you felt cast out in the world. You've tried to fit in. People have cast you out. The Lord never cast you out. You come to him. There's an unprofitable gain. But the second thing I want you to see here is there's an unspeakable loss. There's an unspeakable loss again, verse 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And to lose the soul, it literally means here to forfeit the life. And therefore we see a link, do we not, between the soul of man and the life of man. And there are many verses in the scriptures that show us this link, none more so than found in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, speaking there about the days of creation. That verse says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. You see, a body without a soul is lifeless. It's only when the soul enters into the body that he begins to live. It's only when man became a living soul that he's able to think, that he was able to reason within himself. We find further mention made of the soul over in Luke chapter 9, if you turn there with me. Luke chapter 9 is the parallel text to Mark chapter 8. And I want you to read what it says in verse 25. Luke chapter 9 and verse 25. For what is, it, what is man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself? To lose himself, it is to lose the soul. It's the same thought that's spoken about in Mark chapter 8. And what Luke is teaching here is that the soul is the very inner part of man. It makes an individual what he or she is. And if a man loses his soul, then he loses his very identity. John Flavel, he put it in simpler terms when he said this. If the soul be lost, the man is lost. If the soul be lost, the man is lost. And it is therefore an unspeakable thing to lose one's soul. That which represents the very inner part of man. Does that not show you tonight how truly valuable your soul is? But how many people today neglect to place any value whatsoever upon their soul? Happy to allow their souls to be lost. Many today sadly think they don't need to have their souls saved. You tell them they need to be saved and they might offer excuses like this. Now's not a good time. Now's not a right time for me. You know, I've thought about getting saved before, but I'd have to give up A, B, and C. It's just not going to work for me. And whatever the reason is, what lies behind all of that? It's the idea that they place more value on the material things of the world than upon their never-dying soul. A man called Arthur Jackson, 
an author in Daily Bread in Canada, I think what he has to say is very good. He said, the real value of an object is that which one who knows its worth will give for it. He who made the soul knew its worth and gave his life for it. He who made the soul knew its worth and gave his life for it. We find Christ warning time and time again about the danger of losing the soul. We warn him, we see Christ warning about putting value in the things of the world. We're told in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19 to lay it up for yourselves, treasures upon earth, where moth and dust doth corrupt. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt. What is it tonight that makes your soul so valuable? It is valuable because, like, unlike our mortal bodies, our souls are immortal. They will never die. I think we can say the soul is valuable tonight also because of the great contention for your soul. And what I mean by that is, yes, Jesus Christ, he wants your soul, but so does the devil. The only difference between Christ and the devil in this regard is that Christ, he came to save your soul, but the devil, he has come in order that he might destroy your soul. Again, I think the description that's given of the devil in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, it is just so perfect to describe him. He's called an adversary. He's called a roaring lion. He's called one who walks about seeking whom he may devour. And Christ, he warned his own disciples about this very thing. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. And that word you there, when he says he's desired to have you, it's in plural. What Christ is saying is the devil desires to have you all. And when Christ says, I've prayed for thee, that word thee, it's in the singular, and he's addressing Peter specifically here. Peter, I've prayed for you. I know everything about you, Peter. I know how you're going to betray me later on, and I'm praying for you. How amazing is it tonight to think that Christ knows everything about us? But how amazing is it tonight to know that the Lord Jesus Christ is praying for his people tonight? Some of you have been saved a lot longer than I've been saved, and you will be able to tell me that the Christian life, it's ups and downs. Mountaintops, valleys. There's times when your prayer life is good. There's times when your prayer life is not so good. But the Lord praying for you, that that never changes. He continually makes intercession, the Bible tells us. And that is a wonderful comfort. Because maybe you are in that valley. Maybe you aren't praying like you used to pray. The Lord is praying for you. The soul is also valuable because of the price that was paid for that soul. Many today are trying to save their own souls through their own works, their own efforts, religion, church attendance. If I go to church, I'll go to heaven. Money, obedience to the law. The Bible says none of those things are going to work. 
You're not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And let that truth sink in tonight if you're not saved. I want to tell you the only way that you can save your soul from being lost to an eternity in hell, it is through Jesus Christ. It is by realizing that you cannot save yourself. It is by recognizing that Jesus Christ alone has finished the work on the cross. And therefore, if you're not saved tonight, all you need to do to be saved is to put your trust in him. Surrender your life to him and ask the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart. Ask him to save you tonight because he will certainly do that for you. I'm sure if I were to ask all of you tonight on the way out, have you insured your car? Have you insured your house? Have you insured your valuables? You'll tell me you would because you'd be silly not to do those things. What a loss that would be. How many people are willing to lose their soul over those material things that will mean nothing on the day of judgment? An unprofitable gain, it's gaining the whole world. An unspeakable loss, it's losing your soul. But thirdly and finally, I want you to see there's an unrecoverable transaction. An unrecoverable transaction, and it's found in verse 37. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? That's the question. The word exchange here in the original form, it means an equivalent or a compensation. And in the business world, people make exchanges every single day. Somebody wants something that somebody else has. And what they do is they will offer an equivalent. They'll often offer something of greater worth because they want it. They desire to have it above all else. They need to have it. In the Bible, you read the Bible and it is full of exchanges many of them which are bad. Right back to the very beginning, you've Adam and Eve. They exchanged fellowship with God and eternal life for a piece of fruit. Esau, he exchanged his birthright, his brother Jacob, for a bowl of pottage, a bowl of stew. Moses, he exchanged the privilege of leading the children of Israel into the land of Canaan by disobeying the command of God. King Solomon, the wisest man that we read about in the Bible bar Christ, neglected that wisdom for the love of women. The obvious example is Judas Iscariot, 30 pieces of silver in exchange for his soul. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 16 tonight. Luke chapter 16. Some take it to be a parable, some take it not to be a parable. I'll leave that to you. But in this chapter, we read about two men. One described as being a rich man, the other as a beggar named Lazarus, and both men died. Lazarus, he went to heaven, but the rich man, he went to hell. He didn't go to hell because he was rich. But he went to hell because he cared more about his money than he did about his soul. But read what it says in verses 24 and 25. It says, The rich man, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. 
but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Looking back, this rich man, he realized how foolish he'd been. To neglect something as precious as his soul for something as insignificant as money. And yet, the truth had come too late for this man. There was nothing, to do, nothing he could do to change his circumstances. Because once your soul has been lost, there is nothing that you can do to regain that soul. No purgatory, no getting right after you die. It's once to die and then the judgment. That's what the Bible says. So Mark chapter 8 and verse 36, it highlights the worst deal any man can ever make. But let me tell you tonight as we close about the greatest deal, the greatest exchange that has ever been made. And we find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That verse brings us to consider the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ who did no sin. Christ who is without sin. He came into the world. He took the sins of humanity upon himself. He went to the cross and he died and he paid the penalty for that sin. And what does he give mankind in exchange for their sin? It says here that he makes those who put their trust in him righteous simply means to be in a right standing with God or in a condition or a state that is acceptable to God. You see, sin has separated mankind from God and many sinners have been damned to hell because of their sin. And yet because of Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross, sinful man can be reconciled to God tonight, guaranteed eternal life in heaven. You and I will die one day, that is certain. We cannot change it. How we die will determine the place that we will spend for all eternity. The individual who dies trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of their sin, the Bible says they will go to heaven for all eternity. The one who dies in their sin, having rejected Jesus Christ and the offer of salvation, the Bible says they will go to hell for all eternity. In the year 814 AD, there was a man by the name of Emperor Charlemagne. You study his life and you'll find it was a life full of many titles and many honors. Yet his greatest testimony would only be discovered 180 years after his death when his tomb was first opened. Because as those explorers went into that tomb, they found this man sitting on a throne, still wearing his crown, surrounded by gold, jewels, many precious possessions. But their eyes were fixed upon one thing. It was what was sitting on his lap. Because on his lap was a Bible that was open. And this man, his finger was pointing to the words of our text. Mark chapter 8 verse 36. For what shall it profit a man? If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. And in the end, Emperor Charlemagne had to answer that question. Everybody here will have to answer that question as well. For the Christian who stands before the Lord, you're not going to ask that question in terms of having lost your soul, but it will be, what have you done with that soul that's been redeemed? Is your focus tonight on the things of the world, 
Do they take up all of your attention? Or is your sole focus upon reaching the lost with the message of Jesus Christ? It's a great commission to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. If you find yourself in hell because you've rejected Jesus Christ, you need to ask yourself a question as well. What did it profit me to have the things of the world but to lose my soul? As you look at your surroundings, the only answer you can give is this, it cost me everything, it profited me nothing. That's why the church is open tonight. That's why I'm standing here tonight preaching. That's why we preach about hell, not because we enjoy it, but that the unbeliever might realize the gravity of the situation tonight, that hell is a real place. And it is a place that nobody wants to go to. The reality is you can be saved tonight. How can you be saved? John chapter 3 and verse 15. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's believing in Christ. And for those who believe in Christ tonight, the promise is given, they shall not perish, but they will have everlasting life. It's eternal life in heaven. That's how easy it is tonight to save your soul, to prevent the loss of your soul tonight. And the most amazing thing in all of that is you don't need to do anything to save your soul because you can do nothing to save your soul. Everything that needed to be done has already been done by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And the offer of salvation tonight is a free offer. It is for those who come tonight with that repentant heart, who realize in their heart that they're sinners. That they recognize tonight that that sin has separated them from God. And they come and they trust in faith in what Jesus Christ has done on that cross. And if you've remembered nothing else from this message tonight, remember this. There's no profit in the things of the world. Absolutely no profit. I'm speaking from experience. The world will only bring you misery and heartache as it leads you deeper and deeper into sin and destruction. What about Jesus Christ? What will you gain by trusting him? Forgiveness of your sin. Peace with God. Everlasting life and a home in heaven. Remember the words tonight in our text. What shall a profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? May God write that word upon your hearts tonight. If you're not saved, I trust that the Lord will speak to you and you will be saved.